This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to Real Talk. You know, we've seen some... uh, in our neck of the woods in Western Canada, some cooler weather, some rain, which is uh, amazing news for the incredible crews that have been battling wildfires. But uh, Alberta still trending toward what looks to be its worst wildfire season ever. Its worst wildfire season on record. This week, earlier this week, heading in, uh, we took a look at the number of active wildfires at 71 when we did our Monday show. That number is knocked down four to 67, but that doesn't mean that there aren't communities still threatened. That doesn't mean that the magnitude of these fires isn't something that should quite frankly, knock our socks off and get us talking about some bigger picture stuff, not just the immediate firefights, not just communities and infrastructures threatened, but the approach that we take as a society to this from a number of different angles. We're going to lead off with this today with a freelance video journalist, a weather specialist whose footage is going to blow your mind. Kyle Bertain is going to be joining us in just a second. Most of you will be hearing this on the podcast, but I implore you to watch this episode on YouTube. You will not believe the footage that he has been collecting from the front lines. That in just a second. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Rello. You can find them online at rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O. Have you been thinking about a career in real estate? I know a whole bunch of my friends are. I mean, who hasn't? If you want to find out more about becoming a real estate agent, visit Rello.ca. Why? Well, Rello offers better real estate training, professional expert webinars, entertaining podcasts, and excellent customer service. Rello's content is targeted so that you can meet exam criteria in the quickest amount of time. They're going to help you learn anytime, any place at your own pace. How great is that? You know, there's no better time to start your real estate career and there's no better place to do it than Rello.ca. Kyle Bertain's been talking about weather and telling weather stories for a long time. He's an expert on the subject matter. He's a freelance video journalist. All this footage you're about to see is his He's the former Alberta Bureau Chief for the Weather Network, and uh, we're grateful to have him joining us this morning on Real Talk. Kyle, thanks a lot for making time for us, and and welcome to the show. Where do we find you this morning? Downtown Calgary. Oh, it's got to feel good to be back home, at least for just a, a little bit. Can you describe for us what the last few weeks have been like for you? Well, once that heat really started, I mean, it was like, if you think about how kind of it seemed like our winter was never ending until late April and suddenly it got really, really warm uh, at the start of May and our wildfire season just took right off. So, I mean, I headed up north. It wasn't even that far north. It was uh, kind of west, southwest of Edmonton, west of Drayton Valley. There was a number of fires that kind of exploded in size and uh, and very wind-driven fires. Uh, that was back on uh, May 4th, 5th. And uh, yeah, so we went up there and documented those fires at close range. And then it you know cooled down for a few days and then took off again. So you know, I've been out in the field a couple times documenting these fires. 
And uh, yeah, we we witnessed some pretty intense stuff. Did you have? Uh, we're talking to people even just over the May long weekend, and and sort of this common theme of the conversation is how different this May long felt. You know, you, you talk to a lot of people that are used to camping. They've been caught in snowstorms before on May long. People have had their fifth wheels stuck because the you know the, the access roads are so washed out and wet. That's just not been the case this year. Uh, did you see the the so called fire season? coming from a mile away like were there warning signs you know even even months with the snowpack in advance or, or weeks in advance with no precipitation yeah for sure i mean like you say it was a. Uh, I haven't seen too many may long weekends that were that warm in fact it was 20 years ago at this time i was a high school grad and uh we went grad camping that weekend down in dinosaur and it was 30 degrees and sunny Later that summer, we had a lot of bad wildfire activity, as it turns out. I'm not saying there's any specific correlation there, but yeah, like it doesn't, it didn't seem like a normal May long weekend. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been really intense out here in Western Canada. I, I mean, we had the really dry fall, the really dry winter. So, you know, we have this period in spring called the spring dip, where, uh, you know, you have this... Um, low foliar moisture content all the the there's not much sap up in the trees yet the trees are very dry um and uh and then we had it kind of perfectly coincide with one or two really you know strong heat wave events and that obviously led to increased fire behavior fire danger across alberta so yeah the signs were there um as soon as we saw that heat coming in in early may and then the winds started to pick up with it it was uh, it was pretty scary stuff. We're seeing uh, right now on YouTube, and, and again, anybody listening on the podcast, you have to check out the visuals of this because they're absolutely astounding. Can can you talk to us about the process of of gathering this footage? You're you're an independent video journalist. You head in there. Obviously, you've got some experience. I know we don't want people running into the eye of the storm, so to speak, to to try to get their own footage like this. But take us through your process and what this experience must be like. Well, I have a background as a, a wildland firefighter. I was on a rap attack crew in Alberta between uh, it was basically April of 2010 and August of 2014. And um, and so, you know, I was became accustomed to, to working near wildland fires during that time as a storm chaser and as a weather expert. I basically, you know, I'm constantly looking at uh, the meteorology behind these types of events. And so, you know, I, I basically used my combined skill sets, kind of an unorthodox background to kind of uh, get out there and document uh, this stuff in, in real time. And uh, and yeah, so, I mean, it's it's not something that you can just do easily. You can't just drive up to a wildfire. Typically, I mean, often roads are closed and uh, and it makes it, it, you know, it makes sense. People should be heading away from these things, and I'm I'm only getting close to them because I feel comfortable to manage certain situations, uh, based drawing from from experience. Right? There's a lot of things you have to focus on. You you're really you know your situational awareness is is really important. You're you're looking at everything from uh, you know wind direction, uh, wind speed, uh, what type of fuel is around, how close it is to you. And, uh, you know, you're, you're anticipating everything, knowing where the fire is at all times, just so that you can, you can stay safe. And really what I'm doing is going in there and getting uh, close enough that I can, um, kind of bring those visuals, you know, try to capture those visuals and the, the audio too. I mean, it's just a really sensory experience. That's not really commonly seen. You don't see uh, many photos and video of wildfires at, at close range. And so I'm, I'm really trying to capture that and, uh, and, and bring it to the public. 
you know, we've got uh, fires. You can feel the the radiant heat off the flames like hundreds of meters away. And that just kind of puts it in perspective where as a wildland firefighter, you're not on the ground in front of these fires uh, with this type of fire behavior. It's just impossible to get that close to it. And a lot of people don't understand that. They think wildfire. Why can't you just get a, uh, you know, a fire engine or, or a bunch of wildland firefighters yeah. on the ground putting out the fire. And it's it's not that simple. When when you get into those peak burning conditions late afternoon, you know, where your flame lengths are 50, 100, 100 feet or more, maybe even double that, um, you're, you're, you can't get anywhere near those flames on the ground. You're, you're actioning the rear of the fire, uh, you know, and you're also considering like some of the footage you're seeing there, it's, it, there's very light winds around the fire. So it's actually a little bit more manageable to get closer. But when the winds really start to pick up, I mean, the fire may be a little bit more predictable in terms of what direction it's going, but it's just too volatile to to uh, to really get on the ground and be effectively actioning that fire. And that's why we've seen in, in May, May is fire season in Alberta, and we've been seeing sort of an increase in these uh, wildland fires that have been uh, threatening municipalities, even leading to disasters like 2011, Slave Lake, 2016, Fort McMurray. So, I mean, uh, these this is fire season where we get these wind-driven events when it's really dry out there. Um, and it just really helps to tell the story and put things in perspective, you know, like what does, what does a fire look like up close? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? And what are these guys on the ground dealing with? And, and, you know, why, why is this season so bad? And, and questions like that. Well, your, your reporting has been astounding and, uh, people can check out the show notes, uh, or our promotional tweet here to follow you on Twitter and, and an Instagram. I had, I had a chance a couple of times back in my video journalist days to, to do go, you know, shoot the pool footage from a chopper or to go in under escort into some of these fires, not as close as you were. And of course, with as much PPE as possible and surrounded by experts, you know, one of the things that I I remember is these I don't know if you'd call them like spontaneous combustion type events but you'd have trees that would that would almost just explode like the trunk would almost explode they were so hot and and there was this haunting silence as well as a whole lot of noise depending on what was happening it's like you know people describe these forests almost as like a living breathing type of entity I remember you know Fort McMurray's fire chief at the time describing that fire of course everybody remembers as the beast like the fire itself has a bit of a personality can you help us understand uh, and and again I know that you'll point out because you're an expert you'll say well listen there's you know 67 active wildfires right now that's probably 67 different personalities right but 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 as a fire kind of calms down at night or whips up again in the morning or has the wind or the rain impacted or the temperature in, in either way can you describe how that happens how how fires can kind of chill out a little bit and then flare up again yeah it's it's really amazing how you know wildfire is fire behavior is directly tied to weather conditions and so i mean you you can get certain environments where it's you know you have drought conditions ongoing it's really dry and it's dry like to a great depth below the forest these types of fires not only burn really quickly when there's wind but they can burn really hot and really deep and really intensely um at other times it's fairly moist below the ground but the the surface is dry and you get the strong winds and then that can that can blow a raging fire across the landscape really quickly um yeah so being directly tied to weather conditions i mean typically you're looking for the the hot dry windy weather so later in the afternoon that's when you tend to see that peak in fire behavior when i was a wildland firefighter we would usually look at 1700 hours you know 5 5 p.m for that uh that that kind of peak burning period where you would see the most volatile fire behavior so yeah i mean 
in the morning and the overnight, you get a little bit of that recovery. You get the cooler temperatures, higher humidity that you can actually get in closer to these fires. It's no fun to to pull an all-nighter on a fire and, and fight the fire, but you know, it's it's kind of critical sometimes to slow these things down. The thing is, of course, you can't get aircraft in the air because most of these aircraft that are fighting fire are flying VFR, visual flight rules. And so, you know, you need to be flying during daylight. And uh, and so, you know, it's it makes it a little tricky to actually get in and stop these things like it, you can't really stop nature. It, you know, humans are trying our best to 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 stop nature. But it's it's really not possible when you have such like you like you call it a beast. I mean, like um, these fires, like a, a couple different the two main personalities of fire that I've uh, observed in the last few weeks is, you know, there's the fires that are growing in a hot hot conditions, but no, very light winds. And you see these ominous smoke plumes that just vertically billow up in the atmosphere. And sometimes these these smoke plumes can grow so tall that they generate their own thunderstorm. They're called pyrocumulonimbus clouds, uh, fire-generated thunderstorms. And these, you can really get a sense of the the impact that they have on the surrounding weather, surrounding the fire. You know, you'll, you'll literally, um, you know, starting kind of late afternoon into the early evening, you can see these flames starting to take up these big stands of trees and uh and the fire itself is like a vacuum like you superheat the air over top of those trees that are being incinerated and you cause like a local area of low pressure and the air from all around the fire uh gets sucked into it and you can feel that standing there that that inflow into the fire and uh and so you can really get a sense for how these fires these huge fires can really impact the surrounding weather in that sense but then there's the other personality of the fire where you have the strongly wind driven fires um you know these ones i it, you can't get it even documenting them from the sidelines it's it's pretty tricky like you got to be further back because those flames are moving really quickly and you're you know you're tipping with the winds you're tipping the flames over you're preheating all the fuels ahead of it you're transporting what are called fire brands basically like flaming pine cones and bark and starting spot fires out like a kilometer or more ahead of these these wind-driven fires at times kind of like you know the fire is just this self-sustaining machine and in this case the wind is what's pushing that flame front through the trees and you get what's called a continuous crown fire in cases where you hit like a a stand of continuous coniferous trees and you get the most volatile fire behavior in these types of cases. And these fires can double in size per day or more, right? So, um, you know, like this is this is the type of fire behavior you're out there witnessing. Uh, winds are obviously the greatest uh, kind of weather variable that influence fire behavior. But you have all kinds of, uh, you know, different kinds of wildfire. But basically, if it's dry and it's hot and, uh, you know, you've got a fire going, it can get pretty intense in that late afternoon or early evening period before it kind of starts to settle down in the overnight if you get that recovery. Can we talk about the toll, like the physical toll that it takes, these wildland firefighters? They're not, uh, I mean, firefighters, no matter where they are, whether they're urban centers or, or way out in the boreal forest, it's, it's obviously hard work. Um, but these are men and women that are like, uh, in a lot of circumstances, hiking, right? Like with gear on their back, they're literally using axes and shovels and digging trenches. I mean, this is incredibly strenuous and very dangerous work. Yeah, it, it's a, it, there's no question. It's a highly demanding, physically, mentally demanding job. I mean, that, that they really screen for that when you're, when you're training to become a wildland firefighter, you know, they're checking to make sure that you're 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 ready for it. You're up to the challenge. You know you've got very kind of vigorous fitness testing standards that you have to. There's a there's a kind of a standard fitness test, and 
depending on the fire crew you're on, you know, they may have different kind of levels of, of, you know, whatever you, you, certain, certain tests are a little bit harder than others, depending on what kind of firefighting you're doing. But it's, uh, it's in general, I mean, it's very, very demanding and they're long days and you're, you're in the smoke, you're in the mud. Uh, you're, you know, like I say, you're not, you're not right up against these huge flames. You're kind of working up, uh, the perimeter of the fire. You're, you know, like say in a typical initial attack fire where you're going in and it's just like, you've just gotten a dispatch. Someone has spotted a smoke. The fire's just starting. You're trying to contain it before it gets out of control. Um, you know, you're flying in and as a fire crew, you're orbiting around looking for your, you know, your water sources where you can set up a pump and a hose lay into the fire. And it's really, you know, figuring out your strategy and your tactics in advance. And then it's, uh, you know, finding your, your escape routes to your safety zones and your anchor points and everything. So you're kind of like, you know, you're scouting all that out from the air, if possible. Uh, that was more of a thing with rap attack and, and hell attack. But uh, yeah, once you get on the ground, then it's, it's, you know, all hands on deck and, and, you know, getting that hose lay out, getting the chainsaws out, um, getting the Pulaski's, those are the, those digging axes and, uh, and you're, you're starting to work that fire flank as best as possible. You know, you're putting the bucket on the helicopter and uh, you know, the, he's going to go fly off to maybe a more distant, more abundant water source, fill the bucket, come and then kind of manage the larger flames while you're kind of setting up the, um, setting up your system on the ground to kind of get safely close to the fire. And of course, these really big fires that we have like thousands of people from Alberta, out of province, out of country, military, um, even locals helping out, um, you know, everyone's kind of helping out in the way that they best possibly can, you know, without getting into a dangerous proximity to this, this volatile fire behavior, very tiring work. It's, you know, um, like I say, it's very, very dirty, very uh very demanding physically you know that's that that's why they try to simulate it in the fitness test where you're you know you have to carry you know a a pump on your back or or boxes of hose on your back and walk up and down ramps and things you're trying to simulate if you can handle that kind of you know vigor so yeah and and i'm not even like that's not even like like one step in the wrong direction you snap your femur like you know what i mean it's just like every single step and and then we're not even paying attention right now in this conversation. I mean, like some of your footage, if people have seen it, there's like it's it's I mean, the layers of 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 your storytelling are fascinating. You see these like little bunnies like running around and scrambling across the the access roads and things like that in our live chat. You know, I could I knew it. I could see it coming. Of course, as soon as people see the bunnies, they go, ah, and people are thinking about the wildlife and the implications there. Some people are talking about, you know, their friends who have a stable plan, like for their horses, for their livestock. Yep. They're spray painting the, you know, the horse's ass, quite frankly, to hope that they'll get to see their horses back. I mean, people are being faced with extremely difficult uh, decisions to make thousands of Albertans displaced. I, I mean, it just really the human side of this as well, the human side of the storytelling, some of it just devastating. I mean, people losing their entire homes, losing everything. Um, I saw a report. I haven't seen it confirmed yet. An 18 year old Edmonton man reportedly says his family, an asthmatic died yesterday from wildfire smoke in the city. I mean, you know, this is becoming uh, the type of situation that, you know, you're, you're not insulated. If you live in an urban area, you know, thanks to some, you know, reporting like yours, it allows us to better understand the impact in these rural areas, the, these forest areas. But it's not lost on me that that this is something, an issue that is becoming more and more and more relevant to every single Canadian every single year. 
Yeah, the human impact is is obviously huge. I mean, wildland fires have been happening on the landscape for hundreds of millions of years. These fires are good for the boreal forest and for for cer- certain forest regions have adapted to wildfire periodic episodes of fire that kind of you know, clear out the the dead organic material on the forest floor. They open up the forest to sunlight to kind of restart the whole process and 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 regenerate life on the earth's surface. But humans came along, and you know we've got uh, we've got to learn how to to live in these wildland environments. We had you know a number of decades in in certain jurisdictions where our our approach was basically just to. Uh, put every single fire out and these fires needed to burn but we had assets to protect that we built into the forest i mean consider northern alberta for example you've got a lot of communities that are basically islands surrounded by boreal forest which effectively becomes fuel at certain times of the year and of course you have the the traumatic memory of, of recent disasters happening in northern alberta in these cases as well you know we've got it, it, these fire crews when the when you have these really big kind of fire flaps that happen we call the fire flap if it's just like a whole bunch of fires you know really fast moving quickly growing fires occur all at once um how do you manage prioritizing your resources like Mm -hmm. of course you're going to prioritize human life communities uh, watersheds and soils infrastructure natural resources and so you know you're you're trying to figure out where do we and it's it's a dynamic situation right like where do we send our, our manpower, so to speak, now to go, uh, you know, deal with this situation, you know, oh, you know, pivot, we got another fire that started just upwind of Slave Lake, for example, we got to send you over there now. And, and so, and, and, you know, being evacuated is obviously a traumatic thing. And, and you don't always have real time information, what's happened to my home, you know, like it's, you're displaced, you're not at home, it's the least, it's the last place you want to be when you're when you're dealing with, you know, mental stress like that, right. So, you know, you're, these wildfires, like I say, they're a natural process, but because of our, you know, say wildland fire management practices in certain jurisdictions have put all the fires out, you know, they, now these forests are loaded with potential fuel and, you know, we're building, we're building more and more into the forest. So we're increasing our, our chances of negative interactions with wildfire. And of course we are seeing change uh, due to climate change in, in Northern Alberta, uh, of these wildland fires that are that we're seeing longer hotter fire seasons since the since the early 60s we've been seeing more lightning generated fires more area burned and we've been seeing more negative interactions in these wildland urban interface areas um due to these wildfires so i mean this is the way of the future we have to learn to adapt you know these communities that are surrounded uh you know fire good fire smarting practices are important and then yeah it goes beyond that it goes to uh, you know, we've been seeing horrific air quality in Alberta's major cities and beyond. I mean, it's been across the United States. This mm. this smoke from Alberta, northern Saskatchewan, northeast BC, this giant reservoir of smoke, it's been spreading far, far beyond. Even if you're not anywhere near a fire, you're still going to be dealing with the impacts of these fires, the smoke, the toxic air. And we have to learn how to to manage that safely. Can I ask, I want to make sure, I don't want to embarrass myself here and, and misinterpret the data, but if I'm reading this fire data correctly, this is remarkable. So in 2022, so last year, so last summer, uh, Alberta recorded 1,259 wildfires. Uh, that was just above the five-year average of just over 1,100. So 1,259 fires with 159,000 hectares burned. Uh, that was below the five-year average of 190,000 hectares burned. I understand there's a lot of numbers here. But last year, 1,259 fires till the end of the season with 159,000 hectares burned. We are already, we're not even out of May, 
we're at 521 fires at a million hectares burned. So, so before we're even out of May, we've already seen five times the area burned as compared to last year's entire summer. Am I reading this correctly? Yeah, and it depends on the year. Like some years you'll have a high number of fires that that don't burn as much. Like it depends on like this year the reason why we had so much burning so early is because we have these like basically drought conditions leading into this season. So the fuel is primed. It does not take much to get the fire to progress through this type of fuel. Um, you know, certain years it's it's wetter and so you need a stronger wind if you want to burn more forest or, you know, uh, this year we're very dry and, and especially, you know, that spring dip period earlier in May before the green up happened, it was, it was, that was what really started this whole thing was early May during that spring dip, extremely dry green up hadn't happened yet. We had that first heat wave really kind of primed the fuels for fire. And then we had that big wind event and that wind event is what drove the initial outbreak of wildland fires that grew to massive sizes. And now you have active fire line everywhere. And, and so, okay, so now we've got these, these fires established. Now we're going to turn the heat up again, and we're going to give you another anomalously strong upper level ridge of high pressure, which means sinking air on the large scale, more hot temperatures, even without the wind. Now you've got all this fire line already established and burning across the province. So now it's kind of just like, you can't it, it's it's kind of like a, you've set off sort of like a, a feedback loop now where it's it's really hard to kind of get you know we, we really need help from mother nature to get a grip on this situation because you know it's it's off to the races now uh, that being said we had a very good rain event across much of the boreal not the far north so the the long lake fire near high level and up uh, the fox lake fire uh, up in far northern alberta these have been still uh, burning and we expect them to continue to burn but we had some really good rain and that's what's going to really help fire crews get in now they'll be able to get right in on those fire lines and start to take out those areas that would have been too hazardous to approach before but we still like you said i mean if you've got a million hectares burnt and you've got uh 20 active wildfires or sorry 20 out of control fires um, there's still a lot of fire line out there that could potentially flare up if it gets hot and dry again um, so we really need help from mother nature on this one because it's, otherwise it's kind of like, yeah, you're, you're, you're set up for, for some hard times. But the thing is, is like Alberta's wildfire season, like I say, tied to that spring dip in the early part of the summer, or like May, basically, um, we tend to see our seasonal rains come late May, June, and that tends to shut down the season in Northern Alberta, the, the, the British Columbia Northwest state season starts to pick up in that July, August frame. But if we have a strange year where that heat continues and it stays dry up north, we could see these fires burning all summer. And yeah, I mean, it's incredible. The numbers already being over a million hectares. We're not out of May. Um, if we if we see the seasonal rains come now, we would probably end up still being near a record breaking season in terms of area burned. But uh, I mean, if things get hot and dry again, yeah, I, I can't even imagine where we might end up. Uh, you know, we've got a, a number of months ahead of us and uh I must just say, though, uh, everyone who's out there is doing such a fantastic job. We have, unfortunately, we've lost structures in many areas of northern Alberta. Um, but it, still, I mean, if you think about the amount of fires on the landscape, the amount of hands on deck that are here helping out, they're doing a great job with the resources that they have. Um, 
it's just if you if you get in close to these fires and you see what it's like in real time and then you look at what's been happening these fires that have been threatening so many municipalities like fox creek and valley view and swan hills and uh, wildwood and drayton valley you know you think about what could have happened there's there they've been doing a great job of trying to keep these away from municipalities given the cir- the circumstances it's really absolutely remarkable as is your reporting kyle and, and your command of the subject matter uh we're so grateful to have had you uh, joining us today it's 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 been uh quite frankly uh bizarre uh to be trying uh and doing our best to cover parallel stories this alberta wildfire season which is trending uh, to be the most significant wildfire season in alberta's recorded history as well as an election um and and to be honest i'm a little surprised that we haven't seen climate change and the wildfire reality reflected more in some of the campaign conversations we're going to go there tomorrow on real talk Uh, i'm sure you don't want to start wrangling with the politics of all this but uh i really appreciate your availability we appreciate what you're doing we have a hell of a uh, respect uh, not just for your skill uh, but also for doing it independently it's it's amazing and uh, w- you know we're grateful to have your voice here on real talk thanks for making time for us we appreciate it thanks Ryan yeah you got it you can follow Kyle Bertain, uh on Twitter and on Instagram and uh, we want to thank our real talk patrons uh, for supporting this interview. This interview is made possible by our Real Talk patrons, and we appreciate those of you who do support the show, allow us to broaden our focus and the depth of our storytelling, the quality of our storytelling, and to support independent journalism uh, by supporting Real Talk on a monthly basis. You can learn more about doing that, uh, checking out the Connect link on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Were you keeping an eye on our live chat through this? We've had like like Randy Thunderhorses in there talking about his personal experience uh, as a wildland firefighter, mm-hmm. they're talking about folks being conscripted to go fight fires. Yeah, that's crazy. Sharon said she's seen that before in, in small towns. So like mm-hmm. literally people are walking into like watering holes into like pubs and being like, everybody, let's go. And if you don't, mm-hmm. f- you know, threats of arrest is pretty serious stuff. And that video. Oh, my gosh. Like my partner, Jatinder, she's so scared about this right now, even though we're in, you know, we're in the. We're not in the downtown core, but we're in the city. So, you know, most of us think we're pretty safe. But, you know, it's it's when you see video like this in high quality and pictures, it really brings home like how dangerous things are right now. And those numbers you're rifling off, I couldn't couldn't believe. so. Okay, so nobody, you know, I always think like a hectare. Well, what is a hectare? There's two and a half CFL football fields in a hectare. (laughs) So, so, you know, two and a half million football fields. That's if, if that helps people kind of wrap their minds around it, two and a half million football fields have, have burned to this point, which is, is really wild. I also noted there was a comment in here that I wanted to touch on. I think it was from Sharon. I appreciate it. She said something along the lines of, you know, controlled burns are a good thing, right? Like, you know, scheduled controlled burns. I wish I had her exact words in front of me, but, but it reminded me of an interview that we had. It was back on August 3rd of 2021. And you can find it, of course, on our YouTube channel, or you can go check it out uh, in our podcast archive. That's when we spoke to uh, Dr. Amy Cardinal Christensen about indigenous fire stewardship and how Mm -hmm. present day fire scientists and, and fire management personnel are tapping into thousands of years of expertise on how to manage the land and how to ensure that those so-called controlled burns can actually help the land and, and ultimately protect communities. Uh, you know, wildfire 
you know, you never want to hear this if your home has been affected, obviously, or if you're evacuated and you're dealing with those inconveniences and, and, and quite frankly, the fear, uh, the uncertainty, the stress that can come along with that. But, but, you know, bigger picture, though it sounds weird to say, wildfire is a good and natural thing. Uh, it's a thing that happens in the forest. The fact of the matter is with human activity and expansion and infrastructure, a lot of times we've neglected some of those principles that have allowed communities, allowed communities and, and in many cases, First Nations to sustain these relationships with the forest for thousands of years. So, again, that's August 3rd of 2021. That was our conversation with fire scientist Dr. Amy Cardinal Christensen. You know, talking about fire, this is the business of our friends at Complete Care Restoration. They've been helping people get back on their feet. And some of those communities that Kyle mentioned uh, by name, Slave Lake, Fort McMurray, uh, Complete Care has been there helping people get their lives back, recovering from fire damage. They've done the same in southern Alberta, communities that have been dealing with flood damage. Of course, they also help you bounce back from things like mold and asbestos removal. They have teams experienced in this type of thing. You don't want to mess around with this stuff. We've seen the Complete Care Restoration team at work, and based on our observations, we recommend them with two thumbs up. If you have a construction, a renovation project coming up, Complete Care does that as well. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. If this summer for you is going to mark a new beginning, if you're looking at maybe bettering yourself or, or setting yourself for, up for success in a, in a new and exciting but competitive job market, check out Canada's Open University today. Athabasca University is the choice of tens of thousands of Canadians. Number one, because their world-class accredited online programs and courses offer flexibility. Flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. So whether it's an undergrad, a graduate, or even a PhD program that you're looking at, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of options. You'll find that perfect fit when you check out Athabasca University at AthabascaU.ca. How cool to hear from our friends at Apex Automation. We offer them our congratulations. They're expanding, opening a new field office in Houston, Texas. The coolest part about it is that it was team members of theirs that while they let the company know they didn't want to go anywhere, they're happy working for Apex, but they were looking for new professional opportunities. They wanted to go live in Texas. So the team at Apex, because you know they're putting people ahead of profits all the time, said, yeah, we can work with that. So they're expanding down to the Lone Star State. Apex is hiring right now. They're constantly looking for Canada's best electrical instrumentation, computer science, process, and mechanical engineers, plus electricians and instrument technicians. If you're looking for a great new opportunity at a place that's one of Canada's fastest-growing automation firms, make sure you check out apexautomation.ca today. And you know who else is hiring? It's our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. If you want to be part of Canada's green revolution, if you want to help municipalities, provinces, and this entire country meet sustainability goals, you're going to want to check out kubienergy.ca today. You can learn more about what they're doing in home and commercial solar, energy storage, EV chargers, even off-grid solar. Some really cool stuff happening with Canada's busiest solar installer. This is Kubi Renewable Energy. You can find more about what they're doing online 
at kubienergy.ca. Of course, as we talk about fires, as we pay attention to the stories making news all around us, this Alberta election continues on uninterrupted. Sure, some door knocking efforts may have been delayed due to that wildfire smoke, but it's not lost on anybody that we're just days away from finding out who's going to be Alberta's next premier and who will form government. Will it be Rachel Notley in the NDP? Will it be Danielle Smith and the UCP? Unbelievable to see the numbers reported yesterday. I've seen some reports that more than 210,000 Albertans cast an advanced ballot yesterday when they opened. To put that into perspective, uh, you know, if we see a million and a half Albertans vote total, That'll be significant mm-hmm. to have 200,000 on day one of advance ballots. Yeah, I heard today it's that's a, record. a big deal. It's a record that broke the record from the last election. So, yeah, I'm curious to know what voting. our uh, yeah. next guest will make of that. This guy's been around politics for a long time. First elected to municipal council in Vulcan County. Get this when he was 19 years old. Served 16 years on council there, and he was elected MLA in the Little Bow riding in 2012. Served through 2015. He's been a grain farmer for 30 years. He's the proud granddad to five grandkids, and those who know him say that he's most proud of serving as arm candy for his wife and fellow entrepreneur, Serena. It's a real pleasure to welcome Ian Donovan back to the show. It's nice to see your face, pal. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing really good, buddy. That is a hell of a beard you've got going on right now. I love that. I have not seen this beard is news to me. I've seen you in the goatee, but not this. I like it. Thanks. Yeah. A little, uh, little change up over the years. And, uh, when COVID started, we had a, the food bank in Vulcan did a fundraiser and I put it out there on Twitter. You know, a hundred people put in 50 bucks. I'd shave my head and well, more than that came through. So it was a good fundraiser and yeah, I've just kept it off, and yeah, I uh, it is what it is. There so. you go. Well, hey, I think I think it's a good look, and uh, I'm looking forward to catching up. You and I were just going to kind of treat this like we're we're having a beer together, and and uh, and just kind of shoot the shit a little bit. What do you make of uh, over 200,000 advance ballots cast in one day? I mean, that's a big deal. What does a motivated electorate say to you? What does your crystal ball tell you? Hey, I've uh, I've lost two elections and won one election, so my crystal ball isn't always as good as it used to be at one time. But uh, it's good when people get out to vote. That just shows um, people are people are active and want to know what's going on in politics. So, uh, I mean, we live in democracy. Whether whether we're happy federally or provincially of whoever's in charge or not in power at the time or might be in power next we still have that right to vote in Alberta and in Canada. And I think we need to always look back and be thankful for that because there's a lot of places in the world we don't have that. So, but um, it means voters are very motivated when they come out uh, early. So I, I think that's a good sign. I don't know which, which way that leans, but hey, I'm just uh, just an old farmer who knows what I know. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, who knows what anybody knows, pal? Uh, I, honestly, uh, you, you talk to any uh, pundit right now you talk to any pollster right now and i've sat on quite a few election panels 
over the last eight weeks or so. Nobody wants to go on the record uh, with a prediction. Uh, I had I had my back against the wall, and one was squeezed out of me about a month ago. And I said, all right. I said, if I have to go on the record, I said, I think it's going to be a nail-biter. But I do think that Danielle Smith and the conservatives are going to pull this one out. But we're seeing now... People going, well, this could be like 44, 43. This could, you know, some people saying 42, 41, and and maybe Jordan Wilkie, based on circumstances, the Green Party leader squeezes one out, and maybe the Alberta Greens get a seat. I guess they've got some pretty interesting internal polling. We'll be talking to him tomorrow about that. The last two elections, as if I need to tell you, Ian, have been pretty dramatic. Like 2019, the, the, the United Conservatives become the first political party in Alberta's history to get a million votes right the election before that 2015 the orange crush election i mean the last two have been huge stories how do you see this one as different than maybe 2012 when you got your seat 2015 with notley and 2019 with kenny um again i think we were almost turned into a two political party system in alberta it seems like we uh, which, I mean, I always say people need choice. I, I'm a fan myself of consensus government where we could actually get rid of the whole party system and throw all the money that we put into parties towards food banks, uh, homeless shelters, stuff like that, that we actually need. Um, there's other provincial parties that do it, but again, we're not there in this province and I don't know if we'll ever get there. So let's, let's face what, with what we have here. We have basically a two party system. And um, I mean, the voters are always right. Um, I lost a provincial election by eight, 10 votes one time. That That's life. I mean, it's uh, again, the fact that people get out and vote, I think is really what we need to look at because it shows what the issues are today. And I think, um, you know, it, most people I talk to, um, it's the affordability right now is huge. I mean, people are, people are in challenges, so... Is would you say is that the number one? Uh, like I, it depends on who you talk to, right? Some people are saying, "Well, this election's oh. about leadership." Uh, I talked to some business leaders yesterday. All this election is about to the gentleman I was talking about is the economy, right? You talk mm-hmm. to other people. This election is going to be out. Oh, what are the What are the United Conservatives promising down in Calgary? Everybody's got their own perspective. Oh. What do you hear? Like in your neck of the woods, is it people talking about affordability? Is that the number one thing, or are you hearing some other themes come up? Oh, well, I, I think affordability is huge, and it's trust in leadership. Um, and the other side is economically what is Alberta going to do? Because we are the economic powerhouse of Canada, in my opinion, anyways. Um, so it, we've got to make sure our policies are in place to continue to make Alberta a vibrant place, place to live. So I, I think we're on that uh, trajectory right now. I think healthcare is another huge issue. Um, and saying that, that some of those numbers, rural ambulance numbers, stuff like that on uh, wait times have all got better. So I think things are going in a good direction. Um overall in my opinion so you've got a you've got a a really interesting perspective and and a pretty unique perspective having served as an mla under under then wild rose party leader danielle smith um i want to pick your brain a little bit about the floor crossing uh this was what i think november 27th right of 2014 uh you and your colleague carrie toll out of innisfail sylvan lake crossed the floor the two of you over to the Jim Prentice Progressive Conservatives. On that day, uh, Danielle Smith said there will be no more Wild Rose Party floor crossings. There will be no more. And then about three weeks later, on December 14th, Danielle Smith, Rob Anderson, and seven others 
crossed over to join the PCs. And everybody knows what happened from there. How would you compare 2012, 2014 Danielle Smith to what you see from the United Conservative Party leader, Danielle Smith, 10 years later? Well, I, I think uh, like a lot of things, I mean, we we thought we were doing something right, or I mean, I did. And I mean, hey, obviously everybody wanted to hang out with me, so they came a month later. So, uh, but no, it, in all honesty, Ryan, that it, at the end of the day, Danielle, um, what I guess the, what I give her kudos for points for is like, why would you put yourself back out into this platform? Um, everybody, it, it's a blood sport anymore, unfortunately. And I was always that guy to agree to disagree, but try to do it respectfully. Um, man, I had a lot of hair back then. You did have a lot of hair back <laughs> then, pal. You can see it was starting to get thin though too. But, uh, anyhow, I, I think, I mean, Danielle's, uh, I mean, she ran a talk show. I mean, you know what that's like, you, you go out and you talk, um, you know, you, you're trying to bring in conversation. You're trying to make people think about different sides of stuff. So I think in all honesty, Danielle doing the talk show was great because I think she really learned lots on both sides. She's very smart. She's very, does a lot of homework before she talks about things. So, um, you know, I mean, uh, what, uh, what I really give her is that, I mean, that's a pretty big piece of humble pie uh, to cross over as the official leader of the opposition, then lose your nomination in 2015. So you didn't even get to run in the 2015 election. And then, you know, kind of go under the wayside for a bit um, and then get back in on the um, on the talk show side. Now, I guess what I'm what I really appreciate of Danielle is that, you know, she she open to listening to lots of different things. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably one of the things that I'm impressed with is that she put her name back out there and and she rallied. I mean, it's it, it it's a political story of the of probably the century in all honesty to if you if you follow through the whole process to be able to come back and become the premier and honestly i mean the ucp were in trouble before kenny got ousted um i mean their polls were brutal there was no hope i mean so I mean, win, lose, or draw, I hope she wins myself. I think there's a little more uh, economic advantage uh, from the people I talk to and different stuff that feel a little more comfortable with that, um, with a UCP government in place. But again, if it's tight, there's nothing wrong with that either. Government is the best governments have best opposition. So I think, um, you know, Rachel Notley would be great in opposition. I think we, you know, in my personal opinion is have Daniel as a premier and, and give her a full shot of it under the mandate of the province, not just as the leader of the party that got elected in in October and move forwards. So. Let, let me ask you on the flip side uh, for your analysis. I mean, Rachel Notley's, uh, I, I think off the top of my head, I'm doing math, which is always a, a dangerous place to go. But I, th I think Notley's been in the legislature 14 years, if I remember correctly. Anyway, point is you saw her in opposition. You, you, you saw her in humble opposition. Like, I remember when it was like her, Darren Billis, Brian Mason, Dave Egan. Dave Egan. Yeah, they had four. Yeah. They went from four to 54. Uh, how would you compare Rachel Notley in you know, 2012, 2013 to Rachel Notley of 10 years later? Obviously, she had four years as premier, which does a lot. Uh, the party is obviously a lot more serious than it was even when it was elected in 2015. I mean, no disrespect, but they were caught on their heels a little bit there. How would you analyze her evolution? Oh, I mean, there's another, I mean, there's great people in politics. Unfortunately, 
politics is, as I say, has become such a blood sport. I, I always go back to, I, I don't like the personal attacks when people pull up that stuff. So I've, I, I, I think either, you know, I mean, Rachel has some great qualities. She's more to the left. I'm more to the right. So we see things a little different. But again, we can agree to disagree respectfully on those things. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we've got some very strong leadership people there. It's a matter of uh, what what vision going forward. I guess my big one with Danielle that I see is, I mean, she she got in her leadership run for the leadership of the UCP. I mean, everybody, they had a news conference against her. I mean, that's and, and to take um you know, to take that in perspective when she won she actually opened up the her caucus to the former uh candidates for the leadership and said hey come be part of my team we might not agree on everything but i i i want your input on this and i agree on some of your stuff so I, that's a pretty big person in my opinion because that's very humbling to to be able to extend the olive branch back out and uh, work with people. And I mean, you know, I mean, I think that shows that you're there for the good of the province, not just for your own uh, personal well-being, so to speak. So, and I think that when she put her name forward to run for leadership, I was like, wow, that's like, I mean, she was a talk show host. Everything that ever comes out is just thrown back at her of conversation points. And so, you know, I mean, as a good talk show host, you have to look at both sides of the coin. So I was a little disappointed when the NDP kind of went into the, you know, pull a a sound clip from three years ago or five years ago of whatever she's talked about, because, I mean, that could be done on anybody on a previous job that they've had. So I mean, uh, I think especially like in, you know, especially for a talk show host, because your job is to push buttons and and sometimes, quite frankly, uh, people might not like to hear this, but to take positions that you don't 100% have conviction in. What's been interesting is to see Danielle back some of those positions now and have to walk back some other ones. I mean, healthcare funding is a huge one. Uh, she's having to say right now, listen, you're not going to have to pay to go see a family doctor. And people are going, well, what about this time when you said that you think that people should? That's a tough one. I'll tell you right now, if I were ever to seek political office, I already know which clips they would use against me. I have them crystal clear, pal, in high fidelity. I have one talking about how the very first thing I would do is has implemented a sales tax in Alberta. So I guarantee my political career would last about five minutes if people were to use my background audio. Do you think, though, that the character quality, and here there's there's some sort of irony here, that Daniel Smith's willingness to entertain ideas with almost of almost anybody, to talk to almost anybody, could be her Achilles heel. Like when most people hear this, it'll be Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening into Thursday. We're already going to have seen, and I roll my eyes a little bit, the news conference on the steps of the Alberta legislature, you know, hate preacher Arthur Pavlovsky is going to be holding a conference. You know, he says he's going to blow the doors up and tell the truth about his dealings with Alberta Premier or, you know, UCP leader Danielle Smith. He's going after again. People are going, what the hell is she doing talking to this guy? It's a bad look. You know, she's she, she's the party. The momentum, the conservative movement in Alberta is 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 kind of trying to shake that because I think it could hold them back in the so-called progressive or mainstream voter circles. How do you reconcile that? The 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 what you might characterize to be a positive character quality of being open-minded, but the political ramifications, which can be not so good. And that's the problem. I mean, it's in that position. I mean, it's a high-pressure position to be the premier. I mean, I've never been in it, but I've watched from the sidelines, and it's. 
it's not a it's a tough job so whoever you've talked to yeah everything comes out everybody's got a everybody seems to have a a reason to try to 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 have a young gotcha moment and um, unfortunately it looks you know there was some of that but I think the fact that she she still she picks herself out of the dust, dusts herself off, gets herself off the ground, and she does it. You know, and she keeps going forward. So again, to me, that's kind of leadership and and the positive side. I mean, and uh, you know, um, Rachel Notley being 14 years in as a as an MLA, some of that as a premier term as a premier, you can't take that away. I think probably one of the best things was when Danielle wasn't in politics. You go back. You get dome disease uh, when you live in Edmonton or when you work in the legislature. You think everything really revolves around what we do in the legislature, and it doesn't. In all honesty, ninety-nine percent of people aren't following everything because it can be a little bit painful unless you're a real political uh, nerd on that. So, you know, the to me, the fact that she 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 left politics for a while, she got to see some stuff, and she got to talk with lots of people and see some different views. Uh, I mean. You can, I mean, I'm one right from, you know, in 2012, if you would have said cannabis, you can ask any of my colleagues that I was an MLA with in the Wild Rose. I mean, I was the absolutely no way we should ever have recreational drugs and cannabis was bad because that's how I was raised. Um, you know, spinning it forward uh, 11 years later, my wife and I had a cannabis boutique hotel, uh, a grow, a packaging processing facility and a retail store in cannabis on the medical side was where my wife had started on it so again people's views changed um you know i think i think we I, if nothing else covid really opened up some eyes both ways and you can i mean that can go down whatever rabbit trail you want with it but at the end of the day i i think people as we get older we get more mature we were a young group of people in the wild rose in 2012 and we were kind of the the you know the the cowboys of the of of it so to speak not all of my colleagues but some of us were and um you know i i give her i think she's grown a lot and and in taking different jobs and seeing different positions and being a lobbyist or you know working for some different companies on forwarding what she wanted to see now again probably never having thought and i know because i talked to danielle my boys were in air cadets uh the 187th squadron and danielle's husband dave um, Reto was uh, one of the leaders of that. And this is after we were all out of politics. I mean, and I, you know, I, I, I'll take my shortcomings. I had uh, m- my mouth engages before my brain speak, you know, thinks about it sometimes. And that's caused me time, you know, pressure and, and, and I'll wear what I have. But the one thing I give Danielle kudos for is just a person is when I, when we go to air cadets and she'd be there the odd time to see Dave or whatever, if there's a fundraiser and she always took the high road. And I thought, you know, that's, that speaks highly of somebody of their character. And, um, you know, for me, that was a pretty big step for her and for me both. But the fact that she was like, Hey, she's like, I, you know, I don't ever see me get back in politics. I really like talk radio. It's been good, but we don't know what we're going to do in five years or seven years or 10 years from now. So, um, Again, to me, the fact that she let her name stand and she went out and rallied. I mean, that's the biggest rally in politics ever to to come back and become the leader and the premier and pulling the polling numbers from where she had them from when previous premier Kenny was in to now. I mean, it's hard to argue. That's that's about as that's 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 like the that's like the the Toronto Maple Leafs win the cup. Oh, let's not get ridiculous here. Let's not get ridiculous. (laughs) All right. 
We already know the Toronto Maple Leafs are not anywhere close to winning the Stanley Cup. Um, by the way, it, it's, it's been five minutes since you said it, but I don't want you to think that I missed your spinning it forward. Let's talk about cannabis. That was a nice play there, Ian. And, and, and I want to ask you about that in, in just a second. But had, I mean, and leadership races can do this, right? They can infuse optimism back into a political party. They can sell mm-hmm. memberships. They can raise money, tons of money. They can raise awareness. And that's kind of part of the point of leadership races. Oh, it's what they were trying to do with the Alberta party. Uh, back in 2018-19, a leadership race, infuse energy into it. Had the Conservatives not seen those polling numbers turn around, what do you think the future of conservatism or conservative options could have looked like in Alberta? Is it is it fair to say, do you think that the UCP is more, I mean, you know, ironically, if you look at the way that the floor crossing went, the Wild Rose moving over to the PCs, the UCP is... Would you say more of a Wild Rose vibe than a PC vibe? What, what's your assessment right now, today? You know, I think the the media spins out as much as anything, and and I'm not I'm not trashing on mainstream. No, speak freely, anything, but I'm just but it, it definitely pushes that way. But I, I think when you talk with people, it's a pretty balanced approach. And yeah, we're in, and you're going to have different between rural, rural and urban. It, it's always been a split. It's a different, a little bit of a different mindset on different things and and how people perceive things or want things to be done. Um, so that becomes a very big juggling act. And, and again, that's where I think myself, I think Danielle did a good job of of trying to pull everybody in under the big tent. And it's it's a challenge. It's like herding butterflies. I mean. I was one of the butterflies. I mean, I'm that guy that likes to do my thing and and uh, to be a team player can be a challenge for some folks for sure. And uh, and you can ask any of my former colleagues, but I always like to talk with everybody. I was always that guy that, and I caused my party some angst because I'd, I'd talk with everybody on all sides of the party. I mean, I've, I've talked with the NDP, uh, you know, Premier Notley when she was, uh, before she was Premier and Dave Egan and everybody else there. And I mean, it, it was... Uh, it's agree to disagree respectfully inside the inside the legislature and, and try not to make things personal. And I think that's the big thing is that most people are there for the right reasons for making Alberta better. And I, and I, I truly feel that about our premier right now, Premier Danielle Smith, that she is there trying to make a difference because why else would you pull yourself out and, and just literally put yourself out there just to have, you know, literally shit thrown at you every day and a quote from when you're on a radio or this or that. I mean, it's so to me, that shows that you're there for the right reasons, in all honesty. Uh, before I let you go, are you a part like are you an official partner with your wife, Serena, in the in the cannabis business? Can I ask you a little bit about that? Or are you, are you more just like, you know, her like biggest supporter kind of idea? I like to be the biggest supporter, yeah. Okay. And I do a little uh, a little uh, quality control checks on our oh, on our product. Uh, that's that's very important as well. <laughs> quality control. Actually, John and I would like to volunteer to to be quality control. Uh, I'll put a shameless plug in for go pick up any because you can products at any of the stores. Yeah. Well, can can I ask you, so you've got Mary Jane Manor. I mean, your wife does, it's her business. Mary Jane Manor, which is kind of like a neat, it's like a, a micro cannabis facility. It's like a cannabis themed retreat. Is that right? About an hour Southeast of Calgary. 
Yeah. So on that, Ryan, we actually, we ran that, we ran a couple weddings through it. We had some retreats. Uh, it was, it was going good. It's again, back to a very conservative area we live in. Right. Uh, you can imagine in small town, Mosley, when you open up a hotel and say, I don't know, we're making it uh, cannabis friendly adult only to, to fit in with all the rules and regulations with AGLC. Uh, and, and it was in, it was good. We did that for a while. And then we've kind of taken a little shift in our family here and focusing more on trying to do more stuff with our family and our kids. Cause we both ran very, a lot of things. So, uh, the Mary Jane Manor actually just closed on oh, me first. Pardon me. And, and what happened is uh, a local business, uh, shooting in the sun's feed yard, uh, which is a large feedlot out here that just expanded again, needed some housing. So, uh, we took the opportunity to pivot out of that business. Um, they bought the hotel and uh, we're running our store, our dispensary until the middle of July when it license renews on it. And then we're going to shut that down. And we've rented our grow out to another group and we want to travel and do some more stuff with our grandkids and stuff. Nice. Um, my father-in-law had a little health scare here last September and you kind of you reassess a lot, I guess, on where you're at and what you're doing. So we're we're reassessing back and focusing back on some family time and being able to do some stuff like that. But in saying that my wife, uh, you know, she's on Mount Royal board advisory board uh, for the cannabis program. She's still very active in it, but we've just taken a step back. It's uh, she's been four years, seven days a week. And uh, yeah, as the trophy husband, I had to, you know, I, I've, I've been very supportive the best I can, but um, in saying that, um, yeah, we're, uh, so we, we blazed into that business a bit and my wife has really been uh, a leader in that, but we're, uh, pardon the pun with the blaze. Yeah, no, I know it's not, I know what's going on. <laughs> you like on where here. I go with that, I mean, but anyhow, yeah. uh, you know, for us, it's, it's been a change and, and we've enjoyed it, but we're, we're stepping back a little bit right now and going to try to focus on doing some family stuff. If nothing else, we've, we figured out that, uh, um, you, you only go around once. So let's try to maximize that the best we can. We have five grandkids now too. So yeah. that's a lot of fun. I mean, there's You're all uh, grows up, buddy. You're all grows <laughs> up. Look at you now. Hey, renting out the grain farm time with the grandkids, you know, picking yeah, your spots. Crisis, I love it. I, yeah. call it. I don't know. Yeah, gonna... No, I don't know. It doesn't sound like much of a crisis to me. It sounds like some pretty good decisions. there. traveling time with family. Uh, people can follow your wife, Serena on Twitter. I love her handle canna Nana, which is great. And, We'll have to get her on the show. Cannabis has been a tough slog. I say this uh, with some some personal and informed knowledge as well. We've got yeah. a family business, and and it's not been easy uh, for people in the, in the legal regulated cannabis market. Oh, so I'd love yeah, to get Serena on again, a back to regulations provincially. Uh, you know, I mean, there's lots of things to change. I mean, you've been in the game. It's uh, you know, you do the criminal background checks, you do all that. Like it's again, we need some policy changes on some things. To uh, if you're going to legalize something and make it available. Let's make the game level between alcohol and cannabis because yep. it's not great now. It's very lopsided that cannabis is uh, very expensive um, and it's all the background checks and everything. We've got nothing to hide. It never bothers me. But the fact you got to, you know, somebody goes through everything you're doing. I mean, if you went to any business that, hey, we want three years worth of your books and any companies have been involved in and your kids' birthdays and what do they do? Again, these are policy things that need to be changed in Alberta, but we we all know policy. You can't, you know, the people are enforcing it's not their fault. They're just doing their jobs. So yeah. again, but positive side, um, 
you know, I mean, it's no place to go but up on it. So I think there's a lot of positives that way. I love looking uh, back, Ian. And, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have told me that you and I would be talking about pot on my independent live streaming YouTube talk show, I wouldn't have seen it coming. Uh, It's nice to see your smiling face again and really appreciate your insights on this. We're trying to go all over the province and get different people's take on what's going to go down on May 29th. Uh, Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. You bet. Thank you for your time, Ryan. Yeah, Take care. You bet. That's former Wild Rose Party MLA uh, turned PC MLA Ian Donovan. Uh, you can let us know what you thought about this conversation by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I uh, just saw a note here on the live chat. This is from Ben who says uh, legalized cannabis is one of the issues I've moved more toward the middle on over the last decade, says Ben. You're an adult. You do you. That from Ben. I think a lot of people have changed their minds. And some people are still steadfast in how they've felt about it all the time, which is cool, too. I feel like just that sentence you just said relates to everything. If you're an adult and you're not hurting anyone, man, just do you. You do you. I love it. Every Wednesday, we have a chance to... uh, I find like everything is a cannabis pun now. He was like, you know, we're going to spin it over here and we're going to... Blazing blazing a trail. And now I'm sort of uh, about to start talking about heading out to the mountains and exploring Jasper. And I I feel like there's just a smorgasbord of segue opportunities. But, (laughs) you know, it's fresh air you're looking to fill your lungs with. You're not going to find it any better than in Jasper National Park. Now, of course, our friends at Tourism Jasper... And in the Jasper town site are well aware and want you to know that they're keeping uh, a keen and continuing eye on wildfire conditions across the province and a great resource. Uh, By the way, this is my Jasper memories. It's our tradition every Wednesday. There's great resources for you online, including on their website, jasper.travel. Right now, the coast is clear. Uh, The electricity supply, waters, everything that you're going to need in Jasper is stable and they're ready to welcome you with open arms. Now, of course, conditions can change, in which case we'll keep you posted and you're also going to want to keep an eye on their official social media accounts at Tourism Jasper. But this weekend, some really neat stuff coming up in Jasper National Park and a great opportunity for you to get out there and, and get active. If you're looking for that combo of fun and active in the national parks, want to let you know athletes have their pick of events coming up on June 3rd. So this is not this Saturday, but the Saturday after. you got some time to make your plan here when both the Grand Fondo and the Jasper Banff Relay are going to be happening. The, the Jasper Grand Fondo is a long-distance road cycling event. I mean, this is as good as it gets. Jasper's early season boutique Fondo is back. Uh, It started in 2014. So coming up, this is nine years already. The Grand Fondo Jasper is Canada's only Fondo to take place in a national park. There's multiple distances to choose from. The 65K Piccolo Fondo, so fun to say, John, is the shortest. And then they've got the 190K, the Forte Fondo. That's the longest. Uh, What an amazing adventure that would be. You can go to Jasper dot travel slash events to register for that and then you'll find more week uh more fun in the weeks to come and then of course if you'd prefer to run as opposed to cycle then grab some of your speediest friends and you're going to want to sign up for the Banff jasper relay race this is so much fun it travels along honestly the most beautiful highway in the world the scenic Icefields Parkway, 93, between Banff 
and Jasper, you and your team will be taking turns running that 260 kilometer long route with 15 different stages splitting it up. You will not find a relay race in a more stunning setting than the Banff Jasper Relay Race. Again, you can find all details online at jasper.travel slash events. And of course, we'll keep you posted on future adventure opportunities every Wednesday right here on Real Talk. It's my Jasper memories presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. What do you figure, pal? 190k cycle. I was when you said that number, I was like, "Oh, I love our sponsors, but that's going to be a no for me, dog." <laughs> that's a no for me, dog. That sounds <laughs> like a lot of work. A, that's going to be a no for me. I, dog. Sec- I, I suspect the people that are participating in the Forte Fondo are people that have maybe done a little practicing they've mm-hmm. maybe conditioned their bodies to these, prepare themselves for that yeah going through the prep here i was like these people are in shape heart wise weight wise everything so <laughs> yeah no kidding but there's never there's never uh it's never too late to change right so never yeah. too late to change mm-hmm. oh that's an interesting segue into this next segment isn't oh. it well we wanted to touch on this of course there are stories developing every single day here on real talk and uh if you're following the alberta election we recognize we have audience members from outside alberta but this is the story it's the political story in canada right now with big implications every single day we're going to be bringing you these insights and we can't ignore this post uh, on facebook from this is the constituency association okay so there's 87 of these across the province and in lacombe pinoco you remember this there can candidate uh, Jennifer Johnson is is kind of sort of not ish the UCP candidate right now I mean she is because she's on the ballot and the ballot can't be changed but you remember and, and I'm not making light of this this is the I mean people call it kind of the poopy cookie kind of story but that's making it too cute I mean these are the horrific comments about uh, trans students in particular uh, and uh, everybody's heard the audio if you missed it you can catch it on our Thursday episode of last week and into Friday, UCP leader Danielle Smith said that this candidate, Jennifer Johnson, if she wins in Lacombe, Pinoca, she will not sit in the United Conservative Caucus. And then the next day, Smith didn't rule out a return to caucus. I mean, these are all ifs. She hasn't won the election yet. But if you're paying attention to the polling and history on how that riding votes, chances are she's still going to win. But that's why we vote. That's why we have elections. Smith says she wouldn't rule out a return to caucus. Well, the CA, the Constituency Association, yesterday on its page posting this, quote, this Constituency Association Facebook page has understandably been inundated with questions from the involved citizens of the Lacombe Pinoca constituency. In the last two days, people have been receiving automated calls from somebody that are suggesting that voting for the candidate Jennifer Johnson is somehow a wasted vote. Says the CA, these are absolute lies because the candidate is still a UCP member in good standing and there is the probability of her entering the UCP caucus in the near future. That from the Constituency Association. So people are looking at this and saying, well, is this all bullshit? Is this all optics? Is this just a play by United Conservative Party leader Danielle Smith and her strategist to ensure that they can weather the storm of the controversy of the comments of, you know, comparing children to feces? 
win that seat in what's going to be a tight election and then hopefully welcome the candidate back to caucus? And of course, the answer is yes. It always has been. Daniel Smith had two options, though, and I tweeted about this last week. She had the option of ignoring this and standing by the candidate, essentially standing by the comments, like she did in 2012 with Alan Huntsberger, that preacher, the lake of fire. I remember it because I was the interviewer talking to Danielle Smith on a show now defunct called Breakfast Television. It was a Monday morning after the story had broken on the Sunday. This guy, a preacher, saying that gays were going to burn in a lake of fire. And I was the one asking Danielle Smith if she would condemn the comments. And she was the one telling me to my face that hers, the Wild Rose Party, was not a party that would dictate one's religious views or convictions. She insisted that the comments were not made while he was a candidate for the Wild Rose Party, but while he was a preacher. And ultimately, she... And the Wild Rose Party paid the price for that. So the choice that Danielle Smith had the day of the televised debate, this was last Thursday, you remember, was to stand by the candidate or to disavow the candidate and to say this candidate will not sit with us in caucus. That's what she said. That's the position she took. But did anybody really believe that this candidate would not at some point rejoin the caucus, rejoin the party, be welcomed back, most especially if the seat count is tight. If you ever believed that this was to be a permanent divorce, I would suggest you were in the minority. Now, the question is how long and what has to happen for members of the general public to find this palatable. Of course, the other point is that the general public doesn't have to find this palatable at all. All Danielle Smith has to do is win the election and have a mandate from voters to essentially do whatever she wants over the next three to four years. That's kind of how governments go. It's why some people, critics of the UCP right now, are so outraged that there aren't policy positions in the official UCP election platform around things like an Alberta pension, around things like an Alberta police force. Because, yeah, you can win a mandate as a politician to govern, but if you have plans but don't campaign on those plans, do you really have a mandate in particular to implement those initiatives? These are the types of questions that people need to ask as they're casting their own vote, as they're making their decision on who they're going to support. Not just what is the reality right now, Not just what are candidates promising or not talking about right now, but what do the next four years likely look like under the leadership of either of these two parties and either of these two women, Danielle Smith or Rachel Notley? You can let us know how you're wrapping your mind around these stories, including this new development out of Lacombe, Pinoca. Maybe some of you are surprised. I would suggest that most of you probably aren't. And we're going to leave some time on Thursday and Friday's episodes and especially on Election Day, Monday morning. We're going to let that show breathe. We're going to read your emails. We're going to get into the the casual conversations that people are having about important subject matter. 
as Albertans go to the polls. Of course, that's Monday, May 29th. These conversations happen because of sponsors that believe in the value of real talk. And that includes our friends at Friesen Brothers. You can find them in 16 different Alberta communities. It's barbecue season. And Friesen Brothers wants you to know that not only do they have their beautiful in-house barbecue sauces ready for you to check out, not only do they have their brand new salad dressings that everybody's buzzing about, but their garden centers are also wide open. The coolest part about this is that more than half of the offerings, more than half the plants, plus all the soil at the Friesen Brothers Garden Centers are grown or gathered right here in Alberta. That means that they're perfect for this climate in this part of the country. You can learn more about it at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N. Or go see them in person. 16 different stores, still family-owned. Friesen Brothers, Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. Our friends at Eden Landscaping are hard at work. This is their busiest season, bringing outdoor spaces to life. But they've still got some space before the summer's done to get your project drawn up and completed. That's all part of the full service landscaping contract agreement. That's how they operate. You're not going to have to subcontract anything out when Mike and his team take a look at your vision, understand what it is your family's endeavoring to create, and then, well, they make it happen. If you're not satisfied, they're not leaving. That's why they've earned return business and referrals for well over 20 years. The custom landscape builder with more than two decades of on-the-ground experience, it's Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to invite you to stop in and check out the Summer Feature Blizzard Collection. It's officially out right now with some of the return favorites like the Cotton Candy Blizzard Treat. Of course, everybody loves that choco-dipped strawberry blizzard treat. But today I want to tell you about the Reese's Caramel Pretzel Blizzard Treat. If you ever wondered, can there be too much of a good thing in a DQ Blizzard? The answer is no! And you can pick one up today at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. We're proud to partner with the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. John, they have confirmed they will have the Dilly Bar Shooters at the second annual Real Talk Golf Classic coming up on Thursday, June 22nd. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. The Dilly Bar Shooters (laughs) from our friends at DQ. And finally, have you sent in your trash talk yet? You know you got it burning inside it. You've got it written out in your mind. Now all you got to do is send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Trash talk presented every Friday by our friends at Local Environmental Services. Keep it local. If you're a decision maker in Edmonton and area, White Court and area, Regina and area, if you're looking to save money and increase the quality of service in garbage, recycling, water hauling, portable fences and toilets, you name it, Local Environmental Services does it. You can request a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Coming up on Thursday's broadcast, we're looking forward to a different perspective on the Alberta election. What have these wildfires done to the conversations at the doors? And could they actually, in a way, improve the chances of the Alberta Greens? We're going to talk to Jordan Wilkie. He'll join us, the Green Party leader, plus former cabinet minister Doug Griffiths from PC to endorsing the NDP. How did he get there? He'll tell us.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.